longtime listeners of the podcast know we like to take you behind the curtains of the Lions 24-7 production here, Andrew Callahan and Sean Fitz. Uh, so we're going to do that right at the outset here of the bye week. It, it's noticeable for us because we are not you know, on edge or as prepared as we would be for a game week. So this is actually our third take of the intro. Uh, Sean, after a full minute of our previous intro, was not listening. So are you with us now as we begin? I am with you now. Thanks for putting me out there. The first yeah. outtake, however, he added an R to my last name, which you do not do. And uh, But yeah, yeah, I think I'm ready to go now. Okay, good. Bye week. Uh, so we get to have a little bit more freedom here with the podcast. We're not going to follow the normal rundown. As we teased on Monday, we have midseason awards to hand out. We're going to talk recruiting news as Penn State is still readying for its next game, which will be next Saturday at home, Michigan Whiteout. I don't know if you've heard. It's kind of a big deal. Uh, we've got mailbag questions, a little bit of men's basketball talk, because I am fresh off of men's basketball media day. You know, any media day, it's always hope. It's always good news. Um, that's for the preseason. But more importantly, we're at the midseason for football. Your MVP for Penn State is? Uh, I think it's going to be Saquon Barkley. Wow. Yeah. I'm going off the board. Though. Second time you've really been stuck out there. This one, by your own volition, the first time was me. But. Well, it's funny. We were going through these midseason awards, and you know we've got offensive award and all that kind of stuff. And I was just like, yeah, let's just get Barkley out of the way and, and disqualify no, you're totally him right. yeah. from every other award. Because so, you can have the overall team MVP, Saquon. We're going we're gonna to get into some other things. Because... I mean, he's the, he's the best running back in the country, arguably the best college football player in the country. He's just phenomenal. Every time he does something, you just kind of go, wow. And then sometimes when he does things that most people would, you know, most people would do and you would say, wow, he's just like, hey, that's just another play. I mean, he's, right. the kid's phenomenal. We'll give him his due. He's going to end up in New York at the Heisman ceremony. He's just got to keep it up. And and we talked about it last week. This is where he's going to earn his Heisman if he gets it is, is the stretch of games coming up after the bye week. Yeah, it's really a make or break. Two performances that were not subpar by any means, but a little bit more contained offensively. Still, nonetheless, he has a lead. I almost get this sense that there's there's a push for whatever reason of for him to win it you know whether his lead right now I think would be slimmer than you would expect you know but Bryce Love and Stanford a couple other guys across the country have really taken steps forward but you still see her and hear his name more than any other. Yeah, I think Penn State's done a great job of marketing him. I, I think mm-hmm. they've done that for a few guys this year, not only Barkley, but uh, Marcus Allen on the defensive uh, defensive side of the ball. They've marketed him as well. So um, I do feel that push because you, you watch his game, especially the Northwestern game, and you know he he, he obviously had the big touchdown run, and and you know he was he's the focus of the defense, but you just didn't feel it was a dominating performance. And after that game, he's still on top of the list. So. Right, and I go on the ESPN app, and the first thing is you know Barkley continues Heisman campaign. It's like, yeah, he had two touchdowns and 75-yard rushing, but, you know, that's kind of an every day at the office for him. You know, we said we were going to skip over him, obviously. It's a half not. day at the office yeah, for yeah. him. Yeah. <laughs> Checking out early on a Friday. Uh, he has nine touchdowns so far, averaging 110 total yards on offense, 217 all-purpose. You know, he's been way up there. He'll and continue t- to be the And a touchdown player. pass. Yeah. Yes, and the touchdown pass. And people have asked us, is he going to start uh, kicking field goals? I want to say 100% no. 99% will be my... Uh, answer there 99 percent no i can't be totally sure we've seen a lot that's been unexpected so far this season you, you never know Rutgers is still on the schedule yes so. this is true did you know he almost went there he almost yeah that's he never was committed heard, never heard that point. before yeah yes. those stories are just the worst um <laughs> okay so moving on offensive mvp non-barkley selection this one also seems relatively obvious to me yeah trace um McSorley, no doubt about it um it, it was interesting because we, we looked across the offense, and there's so many familiar faces there. Um, they, they spread the ball around really well. Jasicki got off on a uh, on a fast start, and he had a couple touchdowns the first couple of weeks. But, I mean, Trace has been the guy. Uh, you'd like to see – actually, I'd like to see that, that, that running average go up a little bit. The decision-making has been spotty at times. But, you know, he's been fairly consistent, and he's, he's a heck of a football player. He is, and you look at his numbers across the board passing, all markedly improved. He's completing 67% of his passes, 13 touchdowns, just four picks, averaging about 266 yards per game. The rushing stats I won't list off because they're skewed by the fact that for whatever reason, back in the day it was decided that sacks would count as negative rushing yards. So his current average, his totals, his attempts are all affected by that and skewed. But, you know, I think you're right. You know, a little bit more dynamic in the running game I think would have helped. You saw him more so in the first, you know, games against Akron. Pitt Narduzzi said he was super surprised at how active he had been in the running game, not so much against Northwestern Indiana. I think you'll continue to see that. But he is the captain you would want for an offense. He's extraordinarily tough. He can hurt you with his brain, his arm, his legs. And I think he'll continue to play as he has been. You know, you're completing better than two-thirds of your passes. You're off to an outstanding start to your year. 
And yeah, the, again, there's there's no discussion, there's no debate. He is their offensive MVP when you take Barkley off the table. Yeah, and if you're not in an in-game thread, he's definitely your offensive MVP. Yeah, you know, a week ago when you were out, I talked about this with uh, John McGonagall. I said, you know, to to he and Audrey Snyder, DK Pittsburgh Sports, is that okay? What's the most intriguing thing about this team? And you know, generally you go positive with the team that's undefeated. And he was like. I don't get why people have been so critical. And to me, that's I don't want to give a voice to people who seem to be so out of touch with reality because, again, I just listed off the stats. He's better than he was a year ago. Everyone was thrilled with him, as they should have been. And yet here we are in a, in a worse place, seemingly, to, to some people, whether Twitter, or boards, or wherever it happens to be. I mean, he has been one of the best quarterbacks in the country. He was last year, and he's only been better since. Well, the standards are higher now. And I think that's, you know, a year ago at this time, Penn State 4-2, and two, obviously the the bad loss to Michigan, you know, sort of rebounding. But in hindsight, you know, the Minnesota games and the Maryland games were so huge. But at the time, it's still Minnesota and Maryland. So uh, Penn State really didn't make that jump until the Ohio State game. So uh, just the standards are so much higher. The the expectations for him as a player, you, you thought he could be a game manager, a guy to get the ball to Barkley, get the ball to Godwin, and, and let them do their thing. But I think there's, there's there's so much more on him this year, and the standards are so high. So that's why you're seeing that, you know, every time he sails a throw, you know, where's Tommy? You know, that, that sort of that's thing. So, so silly. It, it is silly, um, but it, it comes with the high standard. It comes with being 6-0. and And, you know, if you're Penn State, that's one of the things you deal with. Okay. <laughs> Time to disagree because we are two for two in agreement and that's no fun. Uh, defensive MVP. I'm going to go Sharif Miller here, and I know you have a different selection. That's not why I picked Miller, but you know, as everyone knows, what I've done with this job partly is to count snaps. Defensively, Sharif Miller is playing about Garrett Sickle levels, which means you're playing just about over 50%. His numbers are down because he missed most of the the opener with an injury he sustained after the first drive, but. You know, he, he has a safety. He's taken more snaps than anyone defensive end, which is more important because Torrance Brown went down. He's, you know, their best pass rusher on a snap-by-snap basis. Much better against the run. He leads in tackles for loss. Three quarterback hits. And he's a guy that when you're carving up a scouting report on Penn State, you have to say we need to find 48 on the edge come obvious passing downs. And you can't say that outside of Shaka Tony, I think, for anyone else in this roster. 48 or 19, yeah. He's been a big deal since yeah. uh, Torrance Brown went out. And, and you touched on it ba- briefly. He's really improved against the run. This is a guy yes. that was a you know a straight-up pass rusher last year in a role similar to what Tony did last year, um, sort of a situational guy. Um, and he has played the run this year well. Um, on the other side, of course, Buck Holtz is, is a bigger guy, so you expect him to play the run a, l- a little bit better. But, yeah, Miller has been active. Uh, that safety play that he had was was excellent. Um, and, yeah, I would put him right up there. Even though the stats, you know, we, we expected him to be a guy that maybe had 8 to 10 sacks this year. He's not on that pace right now. But he he has certainly impacted plays, and, and, and I would definitely put him in the running for the defensive MVP. My guy is Marcus Allen. Um, he started to create turnovers in addition to being around the football uh, all the time. Um, he made some – I think if you look back to every game, he's made a big play so far. So uh, Marcus Allen is my guy. Um, the, I guess he hasn't really been – completely tested in coverage, which is the question mark that a lot of people had uh, for his draft status. Well, the year. biggest question mark's been answered. He has a pick. Yeah, he's got a pick. Uh, I think he went three straight games forcing a turnover as well. I mean, he, he's getting his hand on the football. He's, he, he's not uh, recovering the fumbles, but he's, he's certainly been around to force them. So um, he, he's been a guy that has been as consistent as anybody in, in the secondary. And with Penn State, when they came into the season, you weren't sure what they were going to get from the safety position. You know, he's been as consistent and as good as you can expect. And I think, he, you know, he's, he's entered all Big Ten season. And and, uh, yes, I think we would be remiss here if we didn't mention Grant Haley, uh, or just the secondary as a whole. I mean, yeah. he and Christian Campbell have been locked down. Right, absolutely. Uh, Haley has been, in, in my opinion, you know, playing it on all Big Ten level. Of course, that's your opinion as well. Yep. Um, but uh, uh, yeah, he's been phenomenal. So I think take your pick, and and you're looking around the secondary. Guys have just been great. Christian Campbell up to ten pass breakups on the year. That matches Penn State's individual high. After last season when they had played 14 games, they've only done six now. It's just really astounding that they lived up and even exceeded the promise that they made in the preseason. And, we are going to be more aggressive, and they've gotten to the ball. And Todd McShay has been listening to the podcast. He's got Christian Campbell as a draft pick moving up the boards. Hey. He's going to crush the combine. I mean, he's going to be a guy that challenges 11 feet in the broad jump. I mean, he's just he's, he's an athletic freak um, You know, who, who, who was a raw prospect. He probably still shouldn't have played as a freshman. But, yeah, he's a guy that, uh, that, that will turn some heads at the combine and move, move up some draft boards. Can we break some news here that we were uh, lightly discussing after Wednesday's practice come, you know, the combine time and pro day? <laughs> I, I'd love to hear this news again. Yes. Well, you're, you're, well, I'm going to tell you because you said you'd love to hear it, and I can only take you at your word. 
uh, Sean and I will be having our own pro day come around Penn State when they do so in, uh, I believe, early March, running our own 40s, doing the bench press, put together a fun little video and, you know, go through the experience that we talk about so much. But, you know, of course, on this side, we're, you know, never executing or doing those things. This is a verbal commitment on my end. Oh, make boy. Sure my knee yeah. holds up and uh, the rest of my leg, which is not always in great shape. So Okay. Um, I can hear your back pedal already. You're going to really do well in those. We're going to check your hip uh, whoa, flexibility whoa. here. Come on, what? Do you verbal commitment now? No, that was just you... a great play on words. I appreciate that. Yeah, yeah. No. So anyway, bringing the A game in the bye week. Um, <laughs> special teams MVP. I wrote about Blake Gillikin this week. Almost twelve hundred words. How good he's been. I believe the best punter in the Big Ten. You know, some more advanced punting stats that I dug out back that up. I think he's the easy go to here, just because he's flipped the field. He's down either punts inside the twenty or more than fifty yards. 23 out of 26 punts. Yeah, that's insane. Uh, so really only three punts he's ever missed the mark. In-depth punting stats are crazy. Uh, but, man, you just you just see this on the surface, and you can you can see the difference that Blake Gilligan has made. And granted, last year was a big jump. But this year, I mean, he's he's hitting them hard. I mean, he's he's putting them where he needs to put. And, and once again, the standard's higher. Excuse me, the standard is higher. And he's uh, definitely uh, living up to that. What was that? I have no idea. <laughs> Bi-week uh, jitters, I guess. We'll get you out of here soon, I guess. We're not drinking, I promise. <laughs> yeah, no, not, not right now. Um, but if we, we do have an honorable mention because, again, we, we agree here at Gillikin, and I think special teams has undergone such a transformation, which is a credit to you know the players, namely Gillikin, Nick Scott, special teams captain, special teams coordinator Charles Huff. Tyler Davis has been better on kickoffs, and you know we'll get to his issues a little bit later in terms of field goals. But DeAndre Tompkins has offered such a weapon there at punt return, and forget even you know the punt return for a touchdown that he had, his average is 17 yards per return. There's always that threat if he's going to take it, sometimes on what would look like an ill-advised return, but he's saying, you know what, you're going to have to bring me down. I'm not going to stand here and fair catch it unless I have absolutely 0% chance of going forward, and that's an aggression and, and a threat that Penn State has not had yet in the James Franklin era. The strides that Tompkins has made since, a re- since he was a returner as a redshirt freshman are, are just monumental. Uh, he, of course, he had the one called back last week as well. So, I mean, he's just been a, a guy that, uh, you know, has turned bad field position. And, and you don't have to return at 50 yards every time. I mean, no. you know, six or eight yards can make, a, you know, all the difference for for this offense. So um, he's he's been doing a phenomenal job. I'm right there with you, um, you know, when I was thinking, because we try to go, you know, sort of mix it up. You, you like to honor more than one guy because, you know, at 6-0, you're going to have that. But right. um, Tompkins is a guy that the coverage units have been, you know, fantastic. So good. Um, you know, the, Charles Huff, um, he might be your special teams MVP. I mean, I know you sat down with him this week. Um, you know, he's just he's just brought something um, that, that Penn State hasn't had for years. And, of course, you know, the sanctions took a big toll on special teams. And now that they're getting around to it, I think they're they're well coached. And, and basically everywhere but the field goal unit, you, you know, you see improvement. Right. They're number one in the country right now in terms of an opponent's average starting field position. So it's right around the 23, which is far and away the best in the country. You know, it's a credit to Gilligan, the punt return units, because they've only allowed nine total yards on, on seven punt returns. Pretty much when you're going back there, you might as well just throw up a hand as soon as he takes a snap because you're not going anywhere. And on kickoffs, you know, Davis isn't always going to boom it out of the end zone. But when they do return, again, Nick Scott, Irv Charles, those guys are all on the scene. Aaron Monroe immediately, they're tackling well, rallying to the ball, which you've seen on defense and special teams has been much better. It's a credit, you know, also to Franklin as well because they have put starters on special teams as soon as they arrive. It's, it's a philosophical thing. It's finally bearing the real fruit that they had wanted. Um, and, and credit really goes all the way around because they bought in, they're playing hard, and, you know, special teams MVP, you can go to a lot of different directions, which sometimes in some teams you just go, this is an LVP discussion. Like, who yeah. has hurt us the most in this area? You can't look at anyone in that regard right now. Yeah, you don't want to hear your name on special teams more often than not. But And, and I go back, Penn State scores a lot, so they kick off a lot. Yeah. And, and, and those guys are down there, and it's and it's everybody. I mean, it's freshmen through seniors. Um, guys like, you know, Josh McPherson are out there, and right beside Lamont Wade, who's, you know, a four- or five-star recruit. So, I mean, it, it's really cool to see the, the maturity of those teams coming through. They're, they're staying in their lanes. They're, they're playing good complementary special teams football. And, you know, and, and it's, they've really benefited from it. The, uh, the, the average start position can't be understated. Uh, you know, we went back and did, did things from last year, and it was just all over the map at times. And then they settled in the second half of the season. They got consistent. Of course, they had Joey Julius put yep. the ball through the end zone. But still, it, it, when you get consistent with something like that, it's going to help out every unit on the field. Field position, real under-the-radar stat, so critical, though, especially if you're in a more advanced metrics, which I, I love to read about, learn more. 
Unsung hero, another under-the-radar topic that we're talking about. Who do you have number one player that has not received enough credit yet? I think Troy Apke. And we've talked yeah. about him a bunch on here just based off the expectation. Um, you know, the, the, the people... You know, some people don't want him out there, but no, he's been he's been good. I mean, he's been he's been better than solid. And I think looking back at last season, you had Malik Golden in a similar situation. I think Malik might might have been a little bit better um, through the first half of the season last year, but but Apke has been good. I mean, he's he there's certainly no reason to replace him as, no. as many people want him to. And uh, given what the expectations were coming into the season, beside Marcus Allen, I think he's lived up to them. And, uh, you know, he's, he's been around the football. Yeah, and we'll do accountability checks at the end of the year in terms of our bold predictions that we throw out there. You know, I, I wrote during the summer that I believe Nick Scott would eventually take over the safety job. And that does not look like it's going to transpire. I mean, that was a credit to, to Scott's work ethic reports we had had about his development, Aaron Monroe, and if Troy Apke, in my mind, you know, at this stage hadn't really secured the job as it hadn't been the case so much the offseason that I figured that he would eventually lose it. He has done nothing, you know, to lose it. And he's really strengthened his grip on that starting job. I mean, Aaron Monroe is barely seeing snaps at all defensively. And Apke right now, fourth leading tackler on the team with 24 stops. He's got a pick. He's got a couple passes defense, a quarterback hit, and uh, a block kick. So he has been outstanding whether he's taking the field, defense, or special teams. And, you know, he's been much better when it comes to taking certain angles, which I think was the biggest knock on him when you saw him rotating in for Golden or Marcus Allen a year ago. Yeah, and you're going to get burned at times. I mean, he yeah. I think on the long touchdown run against Iowa, um, you know, he did not have the great angle and actually ended up benefiting Penn State because it gave him a little bit more time on yeah. the block. But, um, yeah, I think, uh, you know, Apke has been, has been a no-brainer in that situation in my mind. I know you have somebody else in mind based off of your snap counts and, and guys that uh, maybe are a little bit more under the radar. Yeah, looking down the stat sheet, you'll find that Tyrell Chavis has only six tackles, but three of those are for loss. He's got a half sack. He, he's in there much more often in a run-stopping basis. But just the way he pushes the pocket, I mean, you only have a few players who can do that on what he does occasionally, which is just driving the center back or a nearby guard three yards straight into the quarterback's lap. Now, he doesn't deserve to replace Curtis Cothran and Parker Cothran in that regard, but when you talk about depth with this team, as we talked about since you know probably freaking February, he is absolutely a part of that discussion because they feel really good about the five defensive tackles they have. He's a guy you can play against the run and the pass. You know, statistically, again, you know, isn't getting a whole lot of attention, but on a per-snap basis, I mean, he's been very impactful for them, and there's not a drop-off when you have to send, you know, the Cothran brothers off the sideline. We have, uh, for the record, I know they're not brothers before this inevitably comes back as a comment or a tweet going, they're not actual brothers. I've actually already loaded the tweet to to go off tomorrow, but um, no. Chavis came in with expectations that were way too high. And some of those, you know, if you're on our board, it, it became a running joke that, you know, Chavis is going to kill wolves when the Heisman do whatever. Um, but uh, he, he's been, you know, he, he's gotten the time to develop that he needed. Coming from where he came from at that junior college, he really did not have anything going for him uh, academically, strength program or anything like that. Everybody sort of bailed and went to the, they went from Nassau where he came from to ASA. Um, all, all that entire coaching staff is pretty much at ASA now and sort of left him hanging. So, I mean, he, he came from very little structure. Um, when you talk about the Juco grind and, and the stereotypes there, he, he absolutely lived that. And it was, it's just crazy to see the development in the last year and, and the expectations were way too high coming into the season last year. He was fine. I mean, he didn't do anything special, but the, the strides he made when he got into structure, you, you wish this kid had another year because he could really help himself out. A guy like Toro Barney could yeah. really help himself out and, and eventually get into a camp or something like that because, yeah, I agree with you. He doesn't have the numbers to back it up, but he's been a, a solid force in the middle right And now. I'm going to amend that, actually, because, you know, the numbers do help a little bit in this regard. In terms of quarterback hits, he has two. That only trails Manny Bowen, Cam Brown, and Sharif Miller in the entire roster. It's insane. Yeah. So, again, you know, when he's been out there, he, he's he's shown that he can make a real impact. Yeah. Um, but that's enough for looking back. Looking forward, projecting who is a breakout player that you see coming in the next six games. Well, it's the second half of the season, so it's Saeed now season, I think. Uh, obviously, he had the slow start, uh, you know, came in. He's just tripped up so many times, be it injury, suspension, or 
or another injury in the spring. I mean, there's just, uh, there's so many things that have gone wrong. Sometimes his fault, sometimes not, but he's just not been able to catch up. Uh, DeAndre Tompkins has, has been, you know, pretty good at receiver. They've got two pretty good Z receivers, but you know, they've started to go to black now in, in, in key stretches. He had the, the catch on the slant on fourth down against Iowa. So, yes. I mean, he's, he's, a guy that can make those big catches, I don't know that he's a guy that's been consistent or can be as consistent as you want him to be, but he's a guy that can can break open a game. We saw it last year in the Big Ten Championship game. So I think he takes some more strides, maybe takes some snaps away from, from Tompkins and, and and makes some big plays potentially down the field because I do expect Penn State to open it up a little bit down the field in the second half of the season. It's a good point you make, too, because against Northwestern, he played 49 snaps to Tompkins' 30 at the Z receiver spot, which is a huge switch from earlier in the season where Tompkins not only started but was seeing that kind of a discrepancy in snaps. And then you flip that around, you're talking about a difference of you know 38 to 40 snaps per game. Not to say that that will continue. Again, Tompkins will typically come off the field after a punt return that he's made, and then Blacknell will, will start the next offensive series and perhaps get subbed out for it. But they have confidence in him. They, they typically at least recently, like their matchups better with him on the field uh, alongside Deshaun Hamilton and Juwan Johnson. But, you know, we'll see how that goes moving forward. He's got all the talent. We've been saying this since the summer. It's just a matter of when that pops up. And I think you make a good point. It's, you know, probably the second half of the season, if any. However, I do not have a second half breakout off, uh, offensive player. You didn't uh, get your homework done? No, I, I just don't think at this stage, like, we, we have any characters, you know, on the scene that are going to, you know, see any major changes. I, I think you've got... You know, the players at the top of the stat sheet when it comes to receiving, you know, Juwan Johnson, Saquon Barkley's there, Deshaun Hamilton, just as everyone expected, you know, particularly given Johnson's offseason. Trace McSorley's doing his thing. Mike Kosicki was a touchdown machine early on. You know, he was able to play through injury at Northwestern. He'll be a big factor. Offensive line is what it is. You know, in terms of breakout, like this is the same group they rolled out last year for the most part. The same group we're going to see succeed and they're going to have to depend on. Uh, if they want to get to where they want to go against the likes of Ohio State, Michigan, Michigan State, because you know that's not really a time for someone to surprise. I mean, it's, occasionally it's happened, but you need your biggest players on the biggest stages, and that's exactly what they have coming up. Defensively, though, is a different story. We both have defensive linemen. I have a freshman, Eter Grossmatos. I think he's going to make a big impact on the stretch because he'll have more of those pass rush situations, and he's really grown in my mind through the first six games. Yeah, he's a good player, and he's he's got a tremendously bright future. I, I the, the question that I have with him is does he get the reps to do it? Um, we've seen Shaka Tony be in there and, and be a splash guy in limited reps. I just I don't know that Matos is there yet. Um, he's going to have the opportunity to do so, but I, it's just I, I'm a, I'm a little sh- I come up a little short, and I love this kid as much as anybody you know that's outside his mama. Yeah, outside of, yeah, and his dad Rob's a great guy. Um, but uh, <laughs> shout, out. shout out to Rob. But uh, no, I mean he's he's got all the potential in the future. It's just it. For me, it comes down to, to snaps. I mean, oh, there's true. a lot that's of fair. defensive ends uh, on that roster. Of course, Shane Simmons, you know, I thought played well against Northwestern, so he's still ahead of him. Castagna has been getting reps as well, and Tony, and, and of course the starters. So um, it's just one of those things as it come down as he get on the field enough to make an impact. And when he does get on the field, I think he will. But uh, my guy is another defensive end, and it's probably cheating a little bit because he's. I think he's already broken out. He's a good player. Uh, Ryan Buckholz, um, you know, I think we were sort of going at the same uh, common goal, but I, I sort of swerved off. It's just so many known commodities on this on the offense and defense. So going with Buckholz, uh, I thought he played very well against Northwestern. He's so versatile. He gives you options, uh, you know, at end and tackle. So I think he's a guy that who who sees his stats grow. I, his stats aren't tremendously impressive right now, but I think he sees his stats go up in the second half. He could be a key player for them. Buckholz just a sack and a half so far this season. I think you're right. I mean, when you look at his game, I wrote about this in my last tale of the tape. It's just all of those infamous little things, you know, that you hear about all the time. But it's pushing a pocket. It's playing with the correct technique, you know holding an edge, disrupting, you know, a running lane, forcing that to spill outside. I mean, he's been so good in so many different areas and winning that on these certain reps that it doesn't show up. You know, he, he's beating his man in a pass rushing situation, and then the quarterback gets the ball just in time when he's arriving on the scene. You know, to date, like you said, those haven't translated quite to stats. I think it'll come more for Buckholz. And I, too, almost felt like I was going to cheat and pick Chaka Tony, but I felt like his breakout performance really happened, you know, last weekend at Northwestern with a couple of big sacks, another strip sack, it's just a matter of, you know, what's your definition here? And again, with a veteran team, you're kind of picking, you know, who's kind of already broken out, who's arrived, maybe they're going to take a big step. Does that count? 
you know, we want to slightly different definitions, but I think the point is the defensive ends, again, given Torrance Brown's absence, there's the most room to grow there for the young guys and from the perspective of, you know, there are more snaps up for grabs than there were on opening opening day. And it's tough to argue, and Sean Spencer loves to rotate those guys, especially, you know, what we saw the last couple of years was you'd have guys play entire series. Uh, now you're getting, you know, six, seven snaps and switching up. You're bringing third down situational guys in. So it, it, it there's more snaps to go around. Uh, there's also more talent to go around. So uh, defensive end is a spot that they need to step up against the Ohio States, against Michigan, Michigan State. Um, so, you know, if they can get that out of them, they'll be okay. Okay, the takeaway king at the end of the season will be? Grant Haley. Two picks right now. Um, and, and he's just played phenomenally. I mean, he's just been he's been in receivers' pockets the entire season. Uh, I think Pro Football Focus just had a graphic that you know he's he's leading the Big Ten in, in efficiency when targeted. New twenty four seven Sports partner. New twenty four seven Sports partner. Pro Football Focus. Yeah. Yes, we both work with Chris Collinsworth right now, apparently. <laughs> um, but no, I mean he's just been he's been great and he's been quiet. You don't hear his name, and that's a great thing for a cornerback. And he's still got two picks to go with it. So he's my guy and. And the way that this team is is forcing turnovers right now, you haven't seen that for a while at Penn State. It's just we questioned coming into the season who would be that guy that could be the that could get the takeaway when they needed it. And you know, there's there's been a bunch of guys that have stepped up and filled that role. Marcus Allen currently leads with three. He's got two forced fumbles in a pick. Christian Campbell right behind him, tied with Grant Haley at two. I'm going to go with Campbell. He's got one interception. One forced fumble to his name. Again, I mentioned the 10 pass breakups. I think just from the perspective of the secondary has been so aggressive. And right now with the linebackers, you know, we've all talked about it. They had a slower start to the season. When they go in sub-packages, that means Koa Farmer's coming out. I was, you know, touting him more than I think anybody in the preseason in terms of a breakout campaign. Some of the Next game, to Brent Pry. Yeah. yeah, game day situations just have not been there for him. He's reported a little bit frustrated. So, you know, I just don't think there's enough room or time for him to make him ground so far. So I'm just going to go with Campbell because inevitably, if you're not throwing Grant Haley, you're probably throwing Christian Campbell. And that has proven to just not be the right recipe for success for any sort of opponent. He'll get his hands more on balls. I think he'll, he'll be able to take them in um, because, you know, some of these teams, especially like in Ohio State, are going to have confidence throwing the ball downfield. He's got the speed. He's got the length. And, you know, he's got the stats already. So I think he'll end up with it. But, I mean, so many different uh, candidates for this that we talked about. I think one of my bold predictions was even you'd have you know at least three guys with at least three picks. Amani Oruarie, who we haven't mentioned once somehow yeah. in this midseason he's review. Leading, yeah. He's leading with three. Haley's got two. Campbell's got one. A couple other players with a single pick to their name. And, and I think at least I'm going to hit on that prediction. Part of it's due to the success Campbell's had. Yeah, and I think there's just there, you, you want to spread the football around in today's game, and Penn State has someone everywhere, and that's the thing. I mean, you, you didn't always have that. You've had some weak spots at times, so now they've got somebody everywhere. Tariq Castro Fields had a great pick earlier this yeah. season, so I mean, they, uh, I'm a little surprised actually. Lamont Wade doesn't have one. Uh, of course, he didn't play against Northwestern, but. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's one of those things where they have those guys to make those plays everywhere and you know, it's, it's starting to pay off. It is. All right. Last player award. Well, projection now still the, uh, sack master who you got for leading sack, sack man, master. sack guy. Yes. Um, <laughs> got to be very careful got, with I've this naming your, of a category. Yeah, we do. Um, <laughs> You, your MVP, Sharif Miller. Um, I think he, he starts to break through, and you've mentioned his his pressure numbers have been good. He's been around the, the football. He's played the run well, but I think he gets to the quarterback more in the second half. I had him leading uh, Penn State in sacks this year, and I think he can end up uh, you know staying on top of that. Uh, it, it, it's like it's like the receivers, honestly. It's just everything is so spread out. You got sack yeah. numbers spread out. You got tackle numbers spread out. You don't have a guy that's getting 15 tackles every week. And then the next guy is getting six or seven, you know, it's, it's been spread out on everything. A little of that has to do with how many guys they've played and how much they've rotated. But at the same time, I mean, this is a very balanced defense and you know, the, the number one scoring defense in the country as we speak. So, um, I, I it's just, uh, yeah, Sharif, I think is going to take the next step, get to the quarterback, get home. And, and if he doesn't, somebody else is going to clean him up. I just think they're consistent across the board. I always appreciate you, uh, touting my points earlier and agreeing, but in this case, wrong because Sharif Miller lost his team lead in sacks over the weekend to Shaka Tony. Tony now has three Miller still at two and a half. And I say this looking at the snap counts that I have for this season where Miller has played double the amount of snaps that Shaka Tony has so far. So I think Shaka Tony is going to start running away with this again when they put more teams in obvious passing downs. They feel more comfortable with him in those situations. And he's going to come around the corner. And we heard it last year when he's a true freshman just running on scout team. He provided the best speed rush 
that Penn State's offensive line saw in any regular season game, perhaps even in the postseason USC, Wisconsin included. Now he's stronger, he's better, he's faster, he has a confidence of performing on Saturdays. I think he's going to finish with at least six and double his current total of three. He is not just a speed rusher, and that's the thing. I mean, you, you Yeah, the first was a straight arm. Yeah, the straight arm that he had on the, on the Northwestern tackle. I, I, you didn't see that Ooh. coming because this is a guy that you know has been on the roster anywhere from 195 to 230 pounds or whatever. So, I mean, he's he, he's shown different things. He's just got an innate sense of where the quarterback is. He gets there. He's gotten sacks. He's gotten his hand on the army. You know, the Amani pick, uh, you know, last week was yep. that was him. So, I mean, he's just been around the quarterback. He can go find it, and and I have a tough time arguing with with that. I don't know that he gets the snaps to do so, but yeah, we said it before the season. More splash play. Per, per per snap than anybody. I mean, and that's that's going to hold true. And that's a title I've given to Kevin Given since uh, the podcast started. That that has now been changed over. That is a crown that Shaka Tony wears. The new man crush, the, if you will. No, 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 no. <laughs> that is the honorary Mike Miranda crush, uh, which I did not uh, mention when we did our Facebook Live on Wednesday after practice. But yes, he managed to sneak him into a discussion where he did not belong. So congrats on doing that again. Right, anytime I can. I <laughs> Speaking of places that don't belong, Hoops Talk on yeah. the Penn State Football Podcast. You had, media, you had media day on Thursday. Um, you know, there's some high expectations, as you mentioned, because it's going into the season. But, you know, this team has some talent. What do you think? I think it's the most talented uh, team Pat Chambers has had since he's been at Penn State. I think it will end up being the best team that he's had at Penn State. The big question is always going to be where do they stand come March? I do not know. Uh, I think there's more to learn about this squad, but a couple of things stand out that you just can't argue about them now. And it's, you know, first of all, they're in a much better place physically and mentally than they were a year ago. I, you, you hear things about this around media day all the time about the team is closer, they're better, you know, they, they want to be with each other more often. And this entire summer, Shep Garner, who's a senior captain, been around, done a lot of scoring for Penn State, called this probably the best time he's ever had in college. Was hanging out with a bunch of younger teammates over the summer. No one else is on campus. Yes, they're working out. Yes, they're playing pickup. But they're also just playing Madden. They're playing FIFA. They're playing 2K. Like they're, they're being college students, and I think that translates onto the court, whereas you know, it was obvious to see a freshman of Tony Carr who gets bumped up to captain midway through last season, that tells you something not only not so much about Carr, but the current state of leadership on that team. You know, Payne Banks is now gone. Terrence Samuel is now gone, which isn't to say it's, it's all on their shoulders. You don't know the exact dynamic with the coaching staff and what's being said behind closed doors. But the bottom line is that team did not enjoy being around each other as much as this one apparently does moving forward. They're tougher mentally. Their better players are no longer freshmen. And I think there's a reason for hope at the outset. Um, because again, Carr, I haven't mentioned this yet, Added 25 pounds of muscle to his frame. Was at the Nike Academy over the summer, which are for all the best players in college. You know, he's up there. He'll get an All-Big Ten mention. Lamar Stevens is in that discussion. Mike Watkins has been great. They're bringing another big uh, Virginia Tech transfer, Satchel Pierce, who sat out last year. It's just a team that has a lot more options to go to. And the options they had last year were pretty good. Their only problem was they were inexperienced and the chemistry wasn't that great. Those big issues have pretty much been remedied. We'll see what happens, though, in the event that they start to lose two or three in a row because that's really when you get tested mentally in college basketball. Yeah, absolutely. I think Watkins can be the, the difference maker for them, and it's not necessarily a guy that needs to score 15 or 20 points a game. Just no. having that presence is something they haven't had. And you mentioned the, the camaraderie and, and how close this team seems to be. This seemed like a patchwork job for years. I mean, just, just throwing guys together, and you, you never really saw it. So if they can come together, obviously a lot of Philly connections and things like that on that roster. Um, if they can come together like that, they got a shot. And, you know, when you're a Penn State basketball follower or whatnot, that's all you ask for is a shot. I mean, yeah. the expectations aren't going to be that high, um, but they're going to be, you know, fairly, you know, high enough, I guess I would say. Yeah, the bottom line is their best players are players you can win with in the Big Ten, Carr, Stevens, and Watkins. And the freshman they brought in, too, I don't think you're going to have a high impact, but Jamari Wheeler is a name to remember. I wrote a story about him in the offseason. A lot of speed, a lot of toughness at speed. Pat Chambers compared to Tim Frazier from a few years ago. Frazier now bounced around Ooh. the NBA. He'll be backing up John Wall with the Wizards. You know, this is a kid who is extremely mentally tough. He's been giving Tony Carr fits in practice. Carr still, of course, winning those battles, but he'll bring a real spark plug off the bench. And, and these kids, you know, are more prepared than you would expect. And they don't have to rely on them. The Penn State had to rely on the freshman year ago more than any other team in the Big Ten and, and certainly up there in terms of the entire country. So those problems are mostly put to bed. Are they still good enough to hang with the likes of Indiana, Michigan State, you know, other programs out there on a night-to-night -night basis? We'll see. But, you know, for now... I believe the reasons for optimism are real and certainly more so than they've ever been in the Pat Chambers era. So 
Yeah, I think they can pull off some of those upsets. I mean, yeah. it, and they've done that in the and past. So close, with, buzzer beating loss against Ohio State at home, three overtimes in Indiana. They let slip away a number of other games that were just blowouts and ended by the first half. I'd be really shocked if they were out of games at the end of the first half this year. Yeah, I think body language is going to be huge for them. I mean, just get, given the talent they have and the, and the guys that you know came in right away and played, uh, I, I think that you're going to tell a lot about this team. You know, midway through the first half and and you know coming out of the uh, going in the Big Ten season. Okay, recruiting. Back on football focus. Football focus. I did a gallery this week, and I know you guys love galleries. Um, I, I went to go 19 for 19 to highlight 19 key targets for Penn State. I expanded it. Uh, it ended up at 26. I went with 25, and Savion Jackson, who's the number 15 player according to 24-7 sports uh, in the country, put Penn State in his top 10, and he's already visited. I just kept going, and I'm like, this guy's a target. This guy's a, you know, he's been yeah. on campus twice. And it just... The key thing that I took away from it was Penn State has done such a good job of getting these guys to, to campus, and whether that be for camp or lash bash or you know a couple of they had a couple junior days in the spring, they've just gotten so many guys to campus that are high level guys. I mean, we're talking top fifty, top one hundred guys. And, and, and while the 2019 class won't be that big, you've got an opportunity to, to stockpile some talent and go with quality over quantity. So, um, you know, I, I put up that gallery, highlight a couple of guys early on. Um, you know, you, you've got guys like Devontae Dobbs. You, you know, and Penn State's probably not going to end up with him, but he's, a, I think, a top 10 player, a top 15 player in the 24-7 sports composite, five-star guy, going to be back from Michigan. Um, you know, it's just... They're in so many different spots here with, with with so many high quality prospects, and it's a testament to the relationships they've had. They had Devontae Dobbs on campus as as an eighth grader or as a freshman. I mean, yeah. they, they they've identified these guys. They've made it uh, clear who their their, their priority targets are going to be. Um, just walk, just working down the list. Zach Harrison, I wrote a story on Thursday. Um, he's going to be at the Michigan game. Penn State has made it a ball game with a kid that's, you know, 20 minutes from Columbus. And now he's not originally from Columbus. His whole family's from Chicago. He's a big um, factor. Yeah, which is, which is you know, it, it, it will be interesting to see how much of a factor that is. And, you know, maybe he does end up at Ohio State, and there's a strong possibility that's going to happen. But Penn State's at least made it a ball game to, to see how far that they've come with guys, you know— um, an elite level in the four or five star kids in the, in the past couple of years has just sort of it, it's really been staggering. So you know, I did the list twenty six guys. Uh, it's just everybody that I put on that list. I was like, you know, they've got they've got some sort of shot. So and right. and I th- I think it's been you couldn't make that list three or four years ago. I mean, you, you would have made 10 or 15 guys. So yes. they, they've they put themselves in a position to get these guys on campus, to, to get them back. And a lot of these guys will be back from Michigan uh, to get them back on campus. I mean, it's just a, you can't say enough about the job that the that, that Penn state's been able to do. Um, I don't think I've put in any more crystal balls in the last week, but I mean, Penn state uh, has, you know, six or seven guys on the list that they lead for in the crystal ball. So, um, check it out. Uh, I know it's a gallery and whatever, but, uh, check it out. Cause there's a lot of quality information in there. We're going to follow that up with some, some, uh, VIP notes on Friday. So, I'm um, really looking forward to seeing this class play out. Cause it can be a very good one. It may not be a top five, a top 10 class based on the numbers that they have to give out, which is still a work in progress. So don't ask me about that. Um, but it's not going to be a big class. So you won't see, you know, a highly rated, a highly ranked class, but average star rating, that, that sort of thing high. is going to be very high. Yeah. Okay. Any small, tiny preview? We're going to do this on Friday, but just for the whiteout, any new note or nugget that's kind of come up in the last few days that we didn't know before about who's going to be in town for the biggest home game of the year? Wrote a story earlier this week. Uh, Garrett Schrader, a quarterback. Um, you know, it was a VIP story, but uh, Garrett Schrader, a quarterback from Charlotte Christian, uh, I think can be a top five quarterback in the country. We have him as four-star right now, but he's just going to keep going up athletic kid and i sent you his film Uh, i know you don't watch a ton of recruit films very first very first uh highlight on there he hurdles a kid and then does a spin move afterward it was pretty ridiculous for a kid that's six four and a half 200 pounds came up to penn state's camp ran a four five ran a a shuttle in the in the low fours i mean he's just 
a really athletic kid. He can sling it as well. And, you know, if, if I'm looking at building an offense like Penn State was looking to do with Justin Fields last year, if I'm mm-hmm. looking at, at a guy to build an offense around, Garrett Schrader's that guy. It'll be his third trip since the summer. So, you know, South Carolina's in there. Tennessee's in there. Alabama's offered him as well. Um, you know, Penn State, if they can keep getting him back to campus, if you can land that guy, that's a franchise quarterback in this offense, I think. Wow. Yeah. I mean, and, and, and I said the same thing about Justin Fields last year. Don't think he's a top-of-the-class number one overall prospect like Justin Fields, but he's got all the tools to, to make it happen. And, and what's interesting about this list is I went down, and, and Garrett Schrader from Charlotte Christian. Jeremiah Gray is a defensive back from Charlotte Christian. Um, the, Savion Jackson's from North Carolina. I think there's four or five guys uh, on this list from, from North Carolina. So Penn State, uh, with the, the down talent level in Pennsylvania, has, has looked elsewhere, and they've really hit North Carolina and Virginia and those places like that hard. All right. Let's stick with recruiting as we transition to the mailbag. First question has to deal with Jason Oway, again, one of those three defensive ends that we're always talking about for the last couple of spots Penn State might have in its current class. He recently picked up an offer from Michigan. You said, I think, something to the effect of, you know, how timely um, on Twitter. What What is your read here with that whole situation, OA, and then all the way specific to Michigan? Well, first off, my read is, what are you doing waiting so long? And this kid's a freak athlete. He, he, You know, he's still a work in progress on the field, but Ohio State wants him, Penn State wants him. So I'm not sure why Michigan waited until, you know, the, the fall of his senior year to offer. But... This one's intriguing to me because Michigan has everything he's looking for. He's a high academic kid. His parents want him in the Ivy League or Notre Dame or something like that. So Michigan offers a similar package to you know what Penn State does. And, of course, they, they, they trump their academics uh, out there pretty well. Um, so I, I think Michigan could be a factor. I don't know if it's a little bit late. I think Ohio State uh, right now is the team to beat. Penn State could work their way back in. They're getting a visit for the Nebraska game. But Michigan could certainly be a factor. I, Notre Dame is, has been hanging around, but I don't think that you know the, the Fighting Irish are going to be in it at the end. Um, so, yeah, I think if there's a school that could, could make an impact, um, it might be a Michigan. You know, I, I think he looks at that as an offer that, uh, that is just an, another one of those clear-cut, this is what I'm looking for schools. And right. I think Michigan can work their way in it. I don't know that Michigan can end up with him, but they can certainly make it a battle. Yeah, good. Made their way to the table, so yeah. to speak. And, yeah, at least. And, and you know, say what you want about Harbaugh. And, of course, the, you know, they, the, they're not having the impressive season that uh, – I guess it's probably their record's in line with what most people think, but they're not having the impressive season. Of course, the loss to Michigan State was not great. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, I mean, it's still a brand. Uh, Michigan is still somebody that can draw, and they've they've drawn guys from Jersey before. So yes. um, so it, it could be a situation where, you know, if Ohio State doesn't get him or Penn State doesn't impress him as much as he may think they will at Nebraska, Michigan could work their way and get an official. Specifically defensive lineman from Jersey, too, as we've seen. Yes, but yes. moving on from Michigan, we'll have plenty of talk for that next week. Uh, getting a question here about Chaz Wright. Is he getting past when healthy? We've seen Will Fries take over in the second half of both the last couple of games against Indiana, now most recently Northwestern. By my count, he gave up two sacks against the Wildcats over the weekend. And, you know, it's an issue of is he at 100%? I don't think he's at 100% right now because he was held out at Iowa, went through some early pregame warm-ups, has a right ankle taped. We didn't see any sort of brace on there against the Hoosiers or the Wildcats. But, you know, watching him, you don't get the sense that he's 100%, but obviously he, he was good enough to start against Northwestern and take every two of three series when Fries would sub in early on, and then, again, totally see it at the second half. So in my mind, I think what the staff is doing is they're just basically stating that they're more pleased at this stage with what Will Fries has been able to do transitioning from left to right tackle, which, again, is not going to be something that's a huge transition, but something you definitely need more reps at. He's been getting those and producing at the very worst, on a level playing field at Wright, who's been there now for almost a full calendar year. You know, you talk about the level of competition you saw against Wisconsin, USC, certainly held his own, but even throughout the course of those games, his strength has never been in pass protection. I think that's really where he's been hurting Penn State, even if he's not 100%. That's not an area of his game you would expect to, you know, see a dramatic improvement. But Will Fries, again, as he goes to this early progression, dramatic improvement should only naturally occur as he switches over and gets a better feel 
a right tackle. Yeah, and we've seen improvements, and Wright was a guy that improved a lot last year. So uh, Fries is a tackle of the future. I don't know if he's a left tackle of the future or a right tackle of the future, but I think he is a tackle of the future. So, you know, you put him sort of on a different different curve. I think he's a more well-rounded offensive lineman than Wright. You mentioned Wright, you know, more of a road grader, struggles in pass protection at times. Of course, it takes a long time to run around him because he's massive. But, yes. yeah, Will Fries, I think, eventually – I think eventually wins that job. I don't know that it's this year or, you know, cause, cause Wright of course still has another year. So uh, I think eventually he's that guy, but I don't know in the second half of the season, if James Franklin is going to be confident enough to go away from Wright. And the reason we bring this up too, is because he had one uh, conference call this week. And that was a question that was brought up about maybe switching Brendan Mann over from right guard to right tackle, because again, this offensive line, you know, ha- has not performed up to the level of their teammates on that side of the ball. And you look at that right tackle spot, it's been a bit of a revolving door. He said, we're, we're pleased with the current model we have. Now, at the beginning of the season, that was Chaz Wright starting, Andrew Nelson coming in. Nelson exits at the halftime of the Iowa game. We did not see him until Wednesday's practice when he's on the sideline. None of the starters were in pads, but they're in the uniform, helmet in hand. So, you know, perhaps he comes into, you know, the picture again. But for right now, I get the sense that, you know, Franklin is pleased with Fry's. I think the staff is very happy with the development he's been able to show. I think he might be able to take it over this year. And again, you made a good point about where Chaz Wright came from because when Matt Limegrover first stepped in and they're they're working through the the new scheme and they're installing it and getting to know you know Penn State's players you know just about a year and a half ago, he was not sure if he would be able to use Chaz Wright in any sort of game day situations. Lo and behold, there he is starting the Big Ten championship game and the Rose Bowl and playing well enough to stick in there for all four quarters, which is entirely a credit to him. He's come a long way. And really worked at his foot speed and his quickness. But as things are, you know, progressing now, they're heading into their biggest test of the season. You need someone you can trust in there, and they might still see a rotation. But you know, if there's not marked improvement and his struggles aren't attributed to injury, I think this might be Will Fries' newly assumed job to lose. Yeah, I agree with you there. I mean, I don't think that the gap is all that much. I think you can continue yeah. to see them, you know, pass off series or whatnot, but. Yeah, I mean, if if one distinguishes themselves over the other, this stretch run is such that you don't want to have the you know these guys going back and forth with series per series or anything like that. So you know, if one distinguishes themselves, you got to go, you got to roll with them. Last question is right up your alley. We're talking X's and O's. So Sean, what are some of the offensive tricks uh, up Penn State's sleeve that? Franklin and Trace McSorley have referred to that they've been holding back on us through the first six games. Probably has something to do with fullbacks, I would say. Yes, under center fullbacks. Um, I I don't know that there's tricks, uh, but yeah, I mean, I'd love to see Penn State go down the field a little bit more. Um, I don't know that 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 qualifies as something creative or not, but I mean, you haven't seen it at the rate that you saw it last year. Um, It's interesting to to see how much they get McSorley moving. Uh, I thought he was at his best last year when he was improvising, getting himself on the run, and obviously that's not something you plan for, but at the same time, you know, I think you see more receivers coming back to the balls as opposed to to getting down the field. So I think getting down the field is is a major wrinkle in this offense that we probably will see a little bit more. Okay, uh, I'm going to go. Everything we have not seen yet is going to be Barkley centric. There might be some more trick plays. Joe Moorhead was exceedingly creative in the two point conversion era during his time at Fordham. We have yet to really see that. They went to a two back set uh, against Pitt last year in that close loss. I, I think you'll see Barkley more on the edge. They've shown some new wrinkles just in terms of their quick pitch game or their uh, switch zone play, which if you go back to this year's pit game or the teletape, I had a detail and really got their running game on track. But, you know, the pass that we saw against Indiana, I don't think that's the last pass we're going to see from Barkley. It was the last touchdown for Hamilton against the Hoosiers, you know, put him over the top and, and made him the player of that game. But I think with a, with a guy like Barkley, I mean, if you're going to be holding anything back, it's got to be some form of getting the ball to your best player where is he best? Out in space, on the edge, maybe some trickeration, you know, a flea flicker, flea flicker of sorts. Um, you know, who knows? But but I think whatever you're going to see, it's going to be Barkley in space and maybe throwing the ball. Two back sets? Two back sets. <laughs> I mean, we, we've gotten this question. This is a bonus for the mailbag. It comes up almost every single week. My question is this. It's the same with the Tommy Stevens package, which, which is a threat unto itself. Who do you want to take off the field for Miles Sanders? Yeah, it's a great question. I mean, it's yeah. it's not Saquon. It's not well because it's a two back set. Yeah, you're not taking Trace McSorley off the field. You're not taking Mike Kosicki off the you field. You don't want the Wildcat back. You don't want Juwan Johnson coming off the field. I mean, do you want Deshaun Hamilton, who is right up there as a leading receiver, or is it going to be Saeed Blacknell, DeAndre Tompkins, who are the ones really lifting the top off the defenses because of the three wideouts? So you've got the by far the fastest forties. Yeah, 
I mean, I, I don't know where you go with that. And, and it's they, in the playbook, but I'm just saying it's not their best package, and they're aware of that because they don't use it. They don't use it. Yeah, and that's the thing. They they don't spend their time trying to figure out how to get Barkley, and you know they're not going to pull out the the Bears play from the the, the two point conversion play. Oh, that was time. so good. That was so awesome. But no, I mean they're they're not going to spend that time doing that stuff. You, you've got your personnel groupings. They're very good personnel groupings. You're six and zero. Oh, you just go with what what goes. But yeah, uh, I, I don't see a ton in terms of personnel changing. But I can see them being a little bit more creative. And we know Joe Moore had it has it up his sleeve. Yes. Now you got me angry, like riled up going to the end of the podcast. This is like the old "Don't go to bed angry," you know, at, at your spouse kind of thing. Like I don't want to end the podcast on a two back set note. Well, that's a shame because we're not going to have a podcast on Monday. Uh, we're going to go right to Thursday. So I'm going to be riled up for a week. Right to Friday, and you're going to be riled up, and you're going to come in ready to go from Michigan. And I guess that's uh, that's what we'll see from you. Yeah, it should be fun. What are you doing uh, with the next week? Again, no episode Monday, so don't don't be uh, sad or tweeting at us, or if you're going to add us, just at Sean. Um, but we, this is our last episode for the week. But yeah, what are you what are you doing? You're such a jerk. Um, <laughs> I I'm, I'm I'm looking forward to watching uh, college football on Saturday and not having to anything to write about. Uh, of course, my I got two young kids, so that's that's my weekend. And then I'll uh, you know I will be having uh, October fits, um, which I have every year. I make a huge German meal, have some friends over, oh, and nice. have some, yeah. So uh, I haven't invited you, so this is kind of awkward. But uh, yeah, I was first like, what in the hell is that? Looking. Also, going back for a second, you go, I have two small kids. That's my weekend. I thought you were about to say that's my weakness, and I was like, listen, I think Connor and Hayden might want a word about that and the praising. Of course, you pivoted and said weekend. Um, but you know, I, they're, they're going to dominate your free time. I just spent should. four days in Denver, so every second I can spend with them, I have. Yeah, when's uh, Erica's getaway? <laughs> she, she's told me about four different things, so very we will, nice. we will see. Cool. We'll see. All right, well, I hope you enjoy. I will be doing the same, just kind of watching college football um, as a fan, you know, the sport for the first time. I don't know how long, because I think that's something that gets overlooked in our job, which is not a you know, particular great interest to listeners, but I think when you consider the polls that are put out, like AP and coaches polls, th- those are becoming more useless by the year because of college football playoff. But the fact that when you are a beat writer, as we are, or you're a coach, your focus is on one team seven days out of the week. So mm-hmm. when we have to vote about where they fit in the greater scheme or picture of college football, you know, if I get to watch an 8 o'clock game, even after a noon kick for Penn State, I'm not catching the entire game. Or I'm not being able to catch anything at 3.30. It- it's just almost a useless exercise at this point. The mm-hmm. bye week, you- we can watch just like everybody else from... Noon to midnight in Pac-12 after dark. I was going to say, unless it's the Pac-12 after dark. Yeah, Catch that's those true. games on the Pac-12 network or whatever they show them. Yeah, so. those are fun. But yeah, it should be a good bye week. We hope you all enjoyed uh, this episode. Ran longer as expected. We haven't done one of these marathon sessions in a while. Um, but we'll be back next Friday before Michigan. It's a whiteout. We will have a new format coming to you. Some changes for the second half of the season. Lots to look forward to. And we appreciate you being on the ride for us so far. Penn State 6-0. I feel undefeated. Uh, it's been a good way to head into the bye week. You're saying we've got some tricks up our sleeve for the second half oh, of the yes, season? Oh, yes, we do. We're going right. to be getting me on the outside, and maybe I'll be uh, throwing, throwing the microphone. You and I and our two-back set. We'll see you next Friday. <laughs> Thanks for joining us.